Abba, Father. We can climb in your lap. And God, we can be comforted in you. I pray that you move in us, God. Move powerfully and mightily in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 18 is where we're going to start today. And we're going to finish up the story of Lot. We're going to back up um, in one um, passage from, from a verse from two weeks ago that I had made reference to about fathers because I believe it gives for us a very clear picture of God's intent for dads. And in the midst of Genesis chapter 18, if I can remind you for just a moment, you have um, a visitation to Abraham and Sarah that took place. Um, You have God asking the question, there's three visitors, God asks the question, shall I reveal to Abraham what I am about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah? And he's asking that question, and, and that's where we come in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, because God's having this conversation about his servant Abraham. And in that conversation, he's revealing to us some information about dads, about dads. And so Genesis chapter 18, verse 19 says this, For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about. In the midst or in the context of of us knowing that we have an awesome responsibility with our kids, dads, let me say it this way for you, that you and I, men, need to be the kind of man that you want your son to become or your daughter to marry. Men, be the kind of man that you want your son to become or your daughter to marry. I I keep thinking about that, and it echoes in the context of Genesis 18 and 19, and even a little further in the context of, of Abraham and his relationship with his son Isaac. Just the idea that you and I, men, have an awesome responsibility. And you can look at it through many different ways. Uh, And you might be sitting there today, and you might be someone who's my age, and I've got five relatively young children um, in our home, uh, ranging in age from three to nine. Um, You might be sitting there, though, and you might be a little farther along in your stage of life, and maybe you have teenagers, or maybe you have um, young adults in your, uh, as kids, or maybe you know, you're like my parents are, and you're, you have kids who are in their 30s that have kids of their own, and you're a grandparent, and you're trying to figure out what does this mean, and I'll say it this way, it means the same thing to you, men. It doesn't matter how old you are. You need to be the man that you want your son to become, because let's face it, none of us are finished on the journey. None of us is finished, so there's still time for you to model, for you to live out the person that you desire for your son to be. And there's still time for you to model in your daughter's life the kind of man that you want her to marry, even though she may not have married that guy. But you can still be that man in her life as a father. You can live that out today in her life. And so men, be the kind of man that you want your son to become and your daughter to marry. Now, there's three areas in the context of Genesis 18 and 19 that you see when it deals with what is that kind of man look like. And with understanding what does that kind of man look like, you also understand a lot of what a mom looks like or just individuals. This doesn't have to be like you have to have kids to do this. This is true for every one of us in this context. 
it just gets really specific in Genesis 18 and 19 because you're talking about Abraham who has Isaac and you're talking about Lot and his two daughters and you're seeing how the life that they live and the life that they model has direct impact on who their children become. And that's an awesome weight of responsibility that weighs on each and every one of us. And so as you are thinking about, as you are praying and you are asking God and you are desiring to become the kind of man you want your son to be and the kind of man that you want your daughter to marry, in the context of this, the first one comes, the first point comes out of Genesis chapter 18 and 19, and it's, or chapter 18, verse 19, and it says this, that you need to teach and model truth for your family. That you need to teach and model truth for your family. In verse 19, what we just read, let's pick up where, and take this apart for a minute. It says, For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. So what's he doing? That first, that first part, he's just, he's just commanding, he's teaching, he's instructing his family. And men in particular, again, you have a responsibility to teach your children. Guess what? It's not a responsibility of the public school system. It's not a responsibility of private education. It's not a responsibility totally that lies in the life of the church. But it is a responsibility that lies and rests on your shoulders. That you would teach your children the commands of the Lord. Think about it this way. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, I didn't go there in the first service, but in between services I was just really thinking about um, some other passages. And Deuteronomy 6 is so good, beginning in verse 4, um, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's a great passage, but listen to what he, what he says beginning in verse 5. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, remember that Jesus, fast forward a few thousand years, Jesus in the New Testament sums up the entire law under love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. So the entire law summed up by Jesus was really in this command. So love the Lord your God. He says this in verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently. That's a great word. Diligently to your sons and shall talk um, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your head, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Moses, summing up all of the law, is going, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And oh, by the way, teach these things to your kids. Teach them to your kids. In, in fact, when you go a little bit farther in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you begin to realize that, that what Moses is saying is, listen, you have a responsibility as fathers, as mothers, to continue to share of the goodness of God, of the faithfulness of God. In fact, when you get down in, into verse 16, 
Uh, I'm sorry, verse 20 of Deuteronomy 6. I love this, what, it, what he says. Moses says, when your son asks you in, time, in a time coming, saying, what do the testimonies and statutes and the judgments mean which the Lord our God has commanded you? He's saying there's going to come a time where your sons are going to ask you these questions. Are you ready to answer them? Are you ready to talk about the faithfulness of God? Are you ready to talk about how God had delivered you out of Egypt? Are you ready to talk about how God had been faithful to you in your wanderings in the desert? Because, friends, that's what we're talking about being ready for. When we say teach and model truth, are you able to recall these things? Are you able to share them with your kids are you able, let, let, just, just boil it down to something completely different so it's not dealing with just parents. How about everybody in the room? What's the story that you can tell of God's faithfulness in your life? What's the story that you can tell of God being sovereign? What's the story that you can share? How God has, del- what has he delivered you from? And how can you share that story so that you're teaching the truth? That's this, the first piece of it is teaching. The second part of that is that you are modeling truth. That you are living this out. Back to Genesis chapter 18. Second part of this says that, that you may command his children and household after him to keep the way of the Lord. But this is it. By doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about. You see, we've become really good hearers, hearers of the word. We've, begun, we've become really good people at just listening and going, that's great. That's, that's, we can put our smile on our face and we can go, that's great. We can sit in a Bible study and we can go, that's great. We can sit in a, a sermon, a message, or that's great. It, it was a great message, or it was a great Bible study. We become great hearers of the Word. As James writes in, in, in the book of James, he talks about being hearers versus doers of the Word. And there are people who are just hearers. And what I'm saying in Genesis chapter 18, and what God is saying about, Mo, or about Abraham, is that he's not just a teacher of the word, but he is also a doer, a modeler of the word. So he's modeling what he knows to be true about God in his life. How about you? Are you modeling what you know to be true about God in your life? If people looked at you and they didn't, they didn't look at your behavior or maybe the way you were dressed this morning when, they, when you left your home, because when I left my home, my neighbor was in his pajamas getting his paper. Okay, I leave and I'm, I'm dressed up a little bit for what I normally wear. Okay, so apart from that, would people know you? Would they know that you have a relationship with God because of you modeling, because you are a doer of the word of God? And see, dads, what, what has become one of the greatest curses in our families is that your family knows the truth about you. You can get all dressed up all you want on Sunday morning. You can get dressed to the nines. You can put on the very best that you have. And you can be here on time. You can even show up early. But guess who knows the truth about you? Your wife and your kids. 
So when you want to talk about teaching and modeling the truth, it's of utmost importance in your life. Because your kids know. And they know when you've been talking a big game, but you haven't been living a big game. They know when you're um, all, all over them and you're almost pretending, so you should do this and do this and do this, but they know if you're living another way. Are you teaching and modeling truth to the people around you? Because they know. You can't hide it. You can't deceive them. In fact, for some of you right now, your kids aren't, don't have anything to do with church, religion, or relationship with God because that's true in your life. Because your walk has never matched up to your talk. In Genesis 18, 19, God writing of Abraham is saying, no, because I've chosen him and he needs to command his children and his household and then he needs to do righteousness and justice. It's not just teaching. It's living this out. Are you that kind of person? that you live out what you say you believe. Number two, in the midst of this, comes from the story of Lot. Now, the story of Lot is, you know, he got to pick the land that he wanted to move to, so he chose the area near Sodom. So what you find back a few chapters in Genesis is that he moved near the city, and then you know that he moved just outside of the city. And then you know he moved into the city. And then you know he became somebody of influence in the city. Um, it says that we talked about last week that he had gotten to really a, a place of sitting at the gate of the city of Sodom. Well, you don't get to sit at the city of the gate uh, uh, or, or a gate of the city without becoming a person that's respected in the community. And that was Lot. And, but, but here's the thing, and this is what I mentioned last week, and I remind you again, that came at a price. And the price was that he had to exchange what he knew about God with worldliness. He had to exchange what he knew of truth and what he had seen lived in Abraham's life. Yeah, I mean, he watched Abraham fail, he watched Abraham sin, but he also watched Abraham build an altar and get after God and pursue a relationship with God. He, he had a, somebody in his life who was modeling a relationship with God. And he exchanged that to pursue worldliness in the context of Sodom. Now, for you and I, we have another battle that's waging in our hearts you see, the first one was, are we living, are, it, does our walk match our talk? That's really the first one. The second one has to do with, are you and I guarding against worldliness in our families? Are you and I guarding against worldliness in our families? Because, I'll be honest, when you look at what's happening in the context of Christian homes, I don't think we're doing a very good job of guarding our homes. I mean, guarding our homes. I mean, you, you, think, of, you think of what it means to guard something. Last night, um, well, I guess it was early this morning, 
my son had been up twice. And, uh, and so about 4 o'clock this morning, my wife just sort of pops up in the bed, and she says, did you hear that? Uh, has anybody else experienced this at all? Did you hear that? And what that, that's code for, you need to go check the house. Now listen, I know some of you, some of you have weapons in your home, you know, and I've, I've been dreaming of a way that I can, I can work that out, but some of you have weapons, I know, and you, you would walk through your house with your gun drawn, because what? Because you're going to guard your home if somebody's going to invade your house. And you take that very, very seriously, and, and you take that, you know, that one uh, constitutional right to bear arms very seriously. But you're guarding your home. Well, I don't have, I don't have a gun like that, and so I just have to walk through the house. I don't know what I'm going to do. I really, I really don't have any idea what I'm going to do if I actually encounter an intruder in our home, other than I guess I, I, just, I just fight the very best I can. But I would guard our family much like you would probably do. The question becomes, are you willing to guard your family against the influence of the world? And that's a tough one. That's a tough one. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to define what, what is worldliness. Well, I would start with worldliness flows from self-centeredness. Worldliness flows from self-centeredness, meaning I want, I want, right? Uh, you, 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 if you have kids or if you've ever had kids, you, you know that one because it's this constant battle and this constant fight amongst kids because they want this and this one wants it too and so there's just what what is that self-centeredness I want what I want and I want it now and we live in that world and worldliness when it begins to get into your into your home it's going to start with that self-centeredness because why because that's what you see in the world all of the time is self-centeredness Self-centeredness. I want, I want. This is for me. It's all about me. And look at me. I'm self-centeredness. But then it begins to flow in, in really to four different areas. One, the first one is materialism. The first area of worldliness comes from materialism. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, I will admit that I struggle with materialism. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I will, I'll, I'll, slip my, I'll be the first one to slip my hand up. And here's why I can say that. Because I've been in my attic before. And, and the struggle with materialism, you, you, you have this sort of, this idea of I, I need all of these things. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. And, and so then what happens is after you have it, but then you don't need it anymore, you might be reluctant to get rid of it. And I've got a whole attic full of stuff like that. And not only that, but you know that America struggles particularly with materialism because of this little thing called self-storage units. You know, I mean, self-storage units. I mean, really, I mean, think about self-storage units. There are people, and some of you are this person, you're just not going to admit it. I'm not asking you to right away. But if you need help with that later on, you come and see me. We'll go through some counseling about it. But you own a home, and you have your home so full of stuff. And not only that, you have a two-car garage that you can't fit anything into other than stuff. Your car still sits out in the driveway because you can't get into your garage. Not only that, now you've got an attic that's full of stuff. And then, because you have so much stuff, you went and rented a storage unit to put more of your stuff into. 
Stuff, 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 stuff. Materialism is one of the struggles of worldliness. Some of you are sitting there and you're like, I, he, how did he know my story? It's because it's, there's some in every room. There are some in every room. You've got to guard against that. You've got to guard against that collection of stuff. And, and really the collection of stuff for the sake of having more stuff and then more stuff and then more stuff. And you really got to guard against those things becoming idols, things that you worship in your life. For instance, I struggle with materialism, but I learned a, a long time ago that um, I will not struggle with materialism over my relationship with my kids. And so my wife, we both, my wife and I both have cars. And now mine's, mine's a great car. It's very reliable, but you know, it's been totaled twice and been repaired. So, you know, it's not like something to write home about necessarily. But what I've discovered is for some reason, um, two of my boys, and I know they're the boys too. It's just a boy thing. I discovered a, a while back that there's these little scratches on the side of my car. I don't know if you, you've ever had that, like your kids are doing something. I don't know what they're doing. I, I, I wasn't there when it happened. But man, I, there was a day that I'd just flown off the handle at that. Like, what are you doing? That's my car! But when you realize and you value your relationship with your kids over your material possessions, yes, you've got to talk to them, and yes, you discipline them, yes, you... But you value them over your vehicle. And that's a tough thing sometimes because, you know, some of you have really nice cars, you know? And some of you, that would happen, and it would be easier to sort of blow up than to just deal with it. But you realize that that's one of the struggles that you'll have with materialism in your life, is that you don't value things over relationships with people, especially your family. And by the way, your kids know if you value possessions more than you value them. Second thing that you'll deal with with worldliness after materialism cause comes pleasure-seeking. This is a real, this is, this is where I would say, everybody else clear out of the room, men, let's just have a really honest conversation. So if everybody just, everybody else wants to plug your ears, I'm okay with that. There, there is an epidemic with pleasure-seeking in our world right now. It's nothing new, by the way. I mean, you go back, that's where, that's where we are, Genesis 19, and the entire story of Sodom, the entire story of Sodom and Gomorrah, that story is about a society, a culture that longed for pleasure, that longed for the gratification of sinful, selfish pleasure. That's what they were after. And you see it played out in the context of Genesis chapter 19 when these two men, they visit lots in the center of the city. They go there. They, they want to bring these men out so that they can have relations with them. We'll say it that way. And the idea was they were after pleasure. We live in a pleasure-saturated culture. And men, you've got to stand guard with your family. You can't leave it up to somebody else. You can't, let's just, let's just call it, you can't leave it up to a filter on your computer. You can't leave it up to a special password. You can't leave those things up to anybody but you standing guard and dealing with the problem as it comes in to your family. 
And it's something, men, that we have taken way too lightly in the context of our families. And our families are paying a steep, steep price for us to live in a worldly culture where pleasure and the pursuit of pleasure is at the core and the root of your problem. And you men in particular need to deal with it. If you are here today and you struggle and you are battling with pornography and images that you see on a computer and those types of things, you need to deal with it and guard it because guess what? If that's the problem you're facing, it's the problem your son's going to face. And if you're not dealing with it yourself, don't expect your son to deal with it later on because he's going to model the behavior of his father. Period. And you need to deal with it. Guard the gate. Guard it with your life. Guard it because the future of your family depends on it. Guard it. And it's so difficult, men. The things that you see, the images, the television shows, you might think, oh, it's so subtle, it's so subtle, it's so subtle, it's... No, 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 no. When you stand guard for something, when my wife hears that noise and she says, hey, did you hear that? You know, there was a time in my life I was like, no, I didn't hear anything. Go back to sleep. But when she hears it, I want to stand guard. And then you need to stand guard and you need to take it that seriously in your life. Third thing has to do with the same part of it, but it has to do with entertainment. And it has to do with what are you, what are you listening to? What is, what is it that you're listening to? What is it that you're allowing into your home because of entertainment, for its entertainment value? What music do you listen to? What music do you allow your children to listen to? What music, what TV shows, what movies, all of those things matter. They matter in the lives of your kids. They matter in your life. And by the way, in, in case you need a reminder, it doesn't have to be hip-hop. If you're a country music fan, pay attention to the lyrics. I know some of you are like, oh. Entertainment is one way that the world creeps in to our homes. And, God, and men, it's one of the biggest challenges that I face today. Is, is as my, my two older ones, and they're hearing this music, and they're watching this show, it's one of those things that I've got to sit down, and I'm trying to listen to the music, and I'm like, you guys shouldn't, we're not listening to that anymore. We're done listening to that. Or, no, we're, you know, we're not watching that television show. I don't like the way that they talk. I don't like the way that they're portraying this or that. And I've got to have those really honest conversations, because it's going to creep in. And if we don't stand guard, nobody's going to. So you and I need to stand guard for its entertainment. You might be listening to a song like, oh, that's no big deal. And I've gone through phases in my life where I've listened to some of the most horrible music that's out there. I have. I really have. And we've got to do a better job, men, of standing guard for entertainment because this is what happens next. The next battle, especially for those of us who have younger kids in the home right now, the next battle is going to be immodesty. That's the next battle, is going to be immodesty, and, and it's going to creep in to your home because of entertainment. 
They're going to see that this actor or this um, person, it's, it's going to be that, that it's just a completely immodest culture. So you're fighting the battle of dress and those types of things. And, 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 it, and it started because they're watching something. You weren't guarding the gate originally. And men, you got to guard the gate. Think, go back to that story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Could you imagine being Lot's family, watching what's happening in the city? And that's, by the way, there were some, as, as they came to the door and they're knocking, Lot, bring those men out to him. We want to you know, do the thing. And so they're, they're, we bring them out, bring them out. Bring. Guess what? There are some people who are going to just watch for entertainment value. And it's one of those things where it just starts creeping in to your home. And men in particular, women as well, moms, you've got to guard your home from worldliness. Guard it. Guard it. Guard it like it means something. Guard it like it matters Guard it as if your children's life depends on it. And that brings us to three points on worldliness. And then one final thing. Three things about worldliness. Just These are free for coming today. I do that from time to time. Like, hey, you came, you showed up, I want to give you something free. The first one has to do with influence. As you allow worldliness to creep into your life, if you allow worldliness to creep into life, you will lose your influence with your family and with the people around you. You'll lose your influence. Again, the story of Lot, that's the whole story. He could not even convince his family to come with him. He goes, the story told us last week as we were in Genesis 19, he goes to his sons-in-law and says, come on, come on, come on, come with us. Destruction's coming upon the city, and they laugh at him. They think, oh, you're such a good kidder. Oh, you're just joking, no big deal, no big deal. It is a really big deal. But he lost his influence. He couldn't influence his family. He couldn't influence his wife. He couldn't influence his daughters. He couldn't influence the people of the town. He lost his influence because worldliness had crept into his life. They all knew him. They're like, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't walk with God. You don't have a relationship with God. Who are you to come and tell us that this city's going to be destroyed? You're nuts, man. And for some people, as worldliness has crept in, you've lost your influence. You've lost your influence with your kids. Because the world and the accumulation of goods and pleasure and those types of things mattered more to you than your kids did. The second thing is that worldliness tends to taint our decisions. Worldliness tends to taint our decisions. Look at Lot. Again, go back to the story. Genesis 19. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him. But guess what happened? Verse 16. They're like, come on, let's go! Get out of town! And verse 16 of chapter 19 says, he hesitated. I don't know. Says then the men had to grab them by their hands. One of them grabs Lot, one of them grabs his wife, one of them grabs his two daughters, and they head out of town. Worldliness taints your decision. Your decision-making ability, and, and the more that you want the world, the more that you're dealing, and, and, and the more that you're longing for that materialism, the more that you're seeking after pleasure, the more that you're allowing that self-centeredness to be a part of your life, the, the worse your decision-making ability is going to become. 
Not only that, then he goes to the place where he starts to argue. Well, I don't want to go to the mountains. I want to go to this other city. I don't want to get away from what I had here. I want to go to this city because I like the city. I don't want to go up to the mountains. I want to go to the city. I want, let me go to the city. Okay, fine, go to the city. It, it taints your decision-making ability. Last thing is that a dynamic spiritual life cannot be nourished on worldliness. Men, if you want to walk with God, men, if you want to be that man of prayer, you want to be that man of the word, you want to be the man that you want your son to become, that you want your daughter, you want to be that kind of man, guess what? It's not going to come from nourishing yourself on worldliness. It's not going to come from nourishing yourself on pleasure. It's not going to come from nourishing yourself on uh, materialism or entertainment. None of those things. You want to be that kind of man, you've got to deal and guard with that stuff, and you've got to feast on the Word of God. You've got to be like Abraham. You've got to build those altars, and you've got to get after God. The last thing, man, if you want to be the kind of man that you want your son to become or your daughter to marry, this might apply to some of, you who, who, some of you who are a little bit older, but it applies right now to all of us, and it's this, finish well. Finish well. When I think of that, I think of Paul. I think of Paul writing to young Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he's saying, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've, I've been poured out, I, I'm there. I think, man, that's... I know the desire of a lot of men in this room to say, I want to finish well, I want to finish strong, I want to finish as a man of faith, I want, to, I want to finish being a father to my children, I want to finish being a grandfather to my grand. I want to finish well. Lot didn't have that. In fact, in Genesis 19, I, I won't read it all, but if you pick up in verse 30 and, and just tell you the story, so he wound up in the mountains, even though he didn't want to go to the mountains. And his daughters, because worldliness had crept into their life, and Lot didn't stand guard on any of that. I mean, they only got out of town because the, the, the guys grabbed him when they left. They find themselves in the mountains, and they're like, now wait a minute, there's nobody around. How are we going to have kids? There's nobody, no men for us to marry so they wind up, they just went ahead and they got their dad drunk so they could use him to bear children. I don't think that's finishing well. I don't think that that is the picture that anybody wants to have of that's how I want to finish the race. Not at all. Not only did his daughters bear sons, but they bore sons that became the nations who became enemies of Israel. So it's, it's another step. It's that much worse. And men, I just want to ask you the question, do you want to finish well? Do you want to finish well? Do you want to be the father to your kids? Do you want to be a grandfather to your grandkids? Finish the race? Everybody in the room, you can ask yourself that question. Can I, can I be the Apostle Paul in this? Can, can I become like him? Can I, can I say that I've, I've finished the race? Am I going to get to the, stand before my Father in heaven in that day and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant? 
Well done. I, I know that's at the heart of all of us. So let me ask you the question of what are you doing to cultivate that in your life? Are you good stewards of what God's given you? Men, are you good stewards of your family? Are you a good shepherd? Are you a good protector? Are you a good provider of your family? Parents, are you teaching and modeling truth for your kids? Are you living this out? Moms, are you living that out daily in the lives of your kids? Are you able to, to sing a song, sovereign, you're sovereign over mountain air, you're sovereign over all of my circumstances? Are you teaching those things to your kids so they know so they get it, so that when they ask you about your past, you can go, my God is sovereign. Deuteronomy 6, when your son comes and asks you this question about God's faithfulness and what happened, are you able to say, God's been faithful on the journey? What are you doing to cultivate that in your life? Are you building the altars? In a, in a figurative sense of, are you taking these things and going, this is a reminder of God's faithfulness in my life on the journey. Is the, I'm, this, is, this is a mark that I'm going to draw a mark in the sand so that I'm remembering that. Are you taking moments in your life to really pursue God? Or are you spending more time in your life pursuing entertainment and pleasure and materialism? Now, Pastor, now you're just meddling. Yeah. Because I don't know about you, but I want to hear well done. I want to hear I finished well. That's Mother's Day, we talked about the, the passage that says, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in the truth. That doesn't happen by accident. Teach and model that in the lives of your kids. Guard against worldliness. Finish well. Be faithful with what God's given you. And finish well. One of the beauties for me today of Father's Day is Lord's Supper. Because I've just, I've thought about this and just been so excited today, for today, thinking that guess what? Because of what Jesus did for us, I've got Abba Father. And I just think it's such a fitting way for us to conclude our time together is for us to observe the, the body and the blood of Christ and for us to really celebrate the fact that no matter how your earthly father was, good, bad, or otherwise, guess what? You have a heavenly Father that exceeds all of that. You've got a heavenly Father. You've got a heavenly Father that knows your hurts, that knows your pain. And guess what? He's sovereign. He is sovereign. So I'm going to ask if our deacons would come forward, if y'all would just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, and we're going to We'll be distributing both elements together, the, the bread and the, the juice, together for you. A video is going to play. It's five or six minutes long, so just take a, take a few moments just to reflect on the goodness of God, 
to reflect on the fact that you can, can gather in his lap and you can call him Abba, Abba Father. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can gather in this place together. Lord, as your people, as your children, and Lord, we can be reminded of your absolute faithfulness to us. God, you're faithful when nobody else is. God, you're a father when nobody else is. And we praise you. And in this moment, we specifically thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he takes away our sins, that he cleans us and presents us before you as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
to 